<clears throat> Simon, hi. How are you doing? Hi, Richmond. Very good, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Yes. No, I'm. I'm good, thanks. Been looking forward to having a having a bit of a catch up. We haven't sort of chatted for for a little while. Um, we caught up last summer, I think, um, and then and then sort of online recently with um, the the excellent recovery conference um which was uh, which was great actually what what um what made you focus on recovery i think first of all it's just a pertinent issue at the moment um because of covid the the season has ended up being very truncated so it started late but they're still fitting the same amount of games into a shorter period um mm. so they're playing the premier league they're playing three games a week um at the moment which has made recovery really key. You know, how do you recover between the games? Um, Because if you don't, you're not going to perform or even worse, you're going to get injured. Um, And when you think what the players get paid, that that's a huge deal. So uh, yeah, it's a bigger issue than ever. Yeah. And, and how, how did it go for you? Yeah, I thought it went uh, very well. I I thought the speakers were really good. Um, the engagement was very good from the attendees. Um, sort of first and foremost, yourself. You, you were asking a lot of questions, which was great. Um, and I think you stayed on for the whole day, didn't you? Which was quite an effort because it was about seven hours long. So, uh, yeah. but I, I really enjoyed it personally. Yeah. But how, how did you feel it went? Yeah, I thought it was great, and um, that's the first time I've done a, a, a full online conference for the for a day. And um, yeah, you, you're sort of engaged, sort, sort of like you would be if you were at a conference. Obviously, you're in, you know, you're in your own, own room. And then, and then suddenly it's break time and you sort of turn around and you are, you're in a bedroom and you're like, oh, right, I'm at home. I'll go and have a <coughs> coffee and say hello to everyone downstairs. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, you know, it was spaced out nicely and the content was, um, was great and there was opportunity to ask questions. Um, mm. So it's it's a, it's a kind of a new thing over the last year. Um, do you? I mean, things are opening up, and hopefully we'll be able to have face to face stuff again, which is probably better because of the breakout, you know, meetings and whatnot. But do you, do you think you carry on with some online stuff as well, or, or will you gravitate back to people? No, I don't. I think we definitely will carry on with some of it for sure. Um, I think going back a year, I, I don't think I'd even heard of Zoom, um, <laughs> and I've certainly never used it. So it's been quite an evolution, really. Um, but I have been impressed. There are advantages to it, I think, definitely. Um, so you can get people involved to, you know, we get people in America, Australia, Europe, um, and they probably wouldn't have been able to get involved otherwise. Um, so it just makes it that much easier logistically, um, which is a big factor, I think. And it probably less organisation as well, from my point of view. So you're not got to worry about catering and hotels and transport and things like that. Yeah. Um, and you can get more speakers as well. You know, like we had Eddie Jones last year um, and I doubt he would have been able to come in person otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, definitely been advantages, disadvantages as well, but, but definitely advantages. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what, what other ways has, has sort of the last year changed the, your practice? Yeah, I think that would be the big one, really, would be uh, the events being virtual and then also a lot of the interviews being virtual um, and the podcast as well, because we do a podcast once a month. Yeah. um, And we always used to go to a training ground before that to do the interviews. Uh, So now they've been over Zoom mainly. Um, So that, that has been the big change, really, live stuff becoming virtual. Yeah. Yeah, but but ultimately, you know, still the the great content and very much focusing on on football, and and I've known you for well since the um, the meeting up in um, in Salford, um, which was when was that? Um, I think that was summer of twenty nineteen. Would it have been? Yeah, some, something like that. And it was yeah. definitely a face to face thing. We we're all in a mm-hmm. in a room together, and that was that was great. And of course, Jeff was was hosting and you were there and, and load more great, great talks. And, and what, what struck me about that, but also the recovery one, so I guess this is a theme, is, is this push towards seeing, seeing the person first uh, and, then, and then a player. That seems to be a big theme in your, your meetings. 
Uh, yeah, I think so. Definitely. Um, I've been having a, quite a few talks about this today because there's another move towards individual development. Um, so a lot of clubs now have an individual development coach. Um, cause in the past it was always the team that was trained, um, as a whole. So they, they would just sort of all undergo the same training, really. Yeah. They might break into the defense or the midfield units. Um, but essentially they're all treated the same way. Um, whereas obviously everyone is different, aren't they? Physically, mentally, what they could do technically. Um, so now we have got this kind of recognition of that and there are individual development coaches. Um, and I think that's kind of recognition of what you're saying, really, that um, recognising the person, the human being, first yeah. and foremost. Yeah. And that came through a lot, as you say, in the recovery um, event, didn't it, as well? Yeah. Yeah, which has to be individualised because there, there's a lot of stuff on recovery out there. And, and I, you know, this was intimated as well. And, and you know, there's lots of gadgets and and bits of kit that you know we can buy as, as sort of you know your average joes and then and then the elites have got access to you know more funky kit but actually the evidence is pretty scarce for for a lot of the a lot of the stuff and it drops back to the basics of you know what you eat and how you sleep and and how you manage stress and um yeah. and that was that was all covered but um but ultimately you know football is is a team game um and we've got to recognize people because that acknowledges who we are so that there's got to be some kind of balance then hasn't there between this sort of individual thing and then the, and then the team yeah definitely definitely and th th there are loads of issues within that really aren't there as well because i'm quite interested in uh mavericks as you would call them so perhaps people who don't fit into that kind of team ethos or that that mold you might say but yeah. they can still bring something unique you know they have unique talent um unique things they can bring to the team so that's quite interesting um because yeah. you, you wouldn't want to constrain people too much would you or be too prescriptive in what people have to do because perhaps not everyone can fit into that really um yeah i remember like people talking about maradona you know he didn't used to turn up on time yeah uh you know, he didn't do what he was told. He perhaps didn't wear the right things, but he had such ability that he could elevate the team to another level, you know. Yeah. So it's maybe about a skillful leader then knowing how to fit him in and accommodate him and get the best from him. Yeah, because I guess if you had these really sort of fixed rules, you know, let's say timing, um, right, if you're, if you're not here at, at X, then, then basically you're not in the team. And then mm. as the... As, as the coach or the manager, how would you then explain that to the public? Well, I didn't choose him because he turned up 10 minutes late. You know, I, I, a lot of people would be very unhappy at that. Um, but, but equally, there's the respect thing, isn't there? Of, of you know, if everyone yeah. else is meeting up, then why, why, should you be, why should you be late? Yeah, definitely. We just had it with Arsenal, actually. Um, probably their best player, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He was dropped because he didn't turn up on time for the match on the day. Right. They'd have to be there, I don't know, a few hours early for a home game and he was late. So he got dropped. Um, yeah. Even though he was their best player. So that's how important um, the manager saw it as being. And I remember Clive Woodward with England rugby. I think you had to be 10 minutes before the arrival time. And he called that Lombardi time after an NFL, I think an NFL coach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, it's very, very important for a lot of coaches. Um, difficult, really. I, I suppose you could say that everyone should be able to be on time, no matter what their personality, their mindset. Um, and it is respect for your, your teammates, as you say. Yeah. there's. I, I read something. It's a, it's a classic um, 10, 10 things you can't coach. It's one of these classic meme things that goes around. I'm not sure of the origin. And I saw it again the other day, and it was in reference to to coaching kids actually um, and they were trying to make the point that, um, that that those are things that kind of need to be positively nourished as opposed to just expected because yeah you know, I suppose you can't coach someone to be on time um, it's all those things you just you just mentioned but it's something that's that the team perhaps agrees together and then everyone works together to nourish in inverted commas right okay interesting 
I did actually line manage someone at the BBC. Um, I won't say their name, but they did struggle with being in on time, particularly if it was early. Um, and they would sit in the wrong place that, you know, whatever wasn't allocated. Not that I would set that, actually, because I don't think that's very important where you sit, but yeah. the person above did. Um, but he produced fantastic work um, and worked very, very hard just for whatever reason he couldn't get organised in those ways, you know. Um, so I personally didn't think that's that important if he's producing the work to the deadline in his own way. But um, others thought that was very important. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of my own experience of it, really. Yeah. Now, I mean, you, you mentioned the BBC there. So, so I've only known you as, as Simon Austin, um, training ground guru. But, but how, how, did this all, how did this all begin for you? Yeah, the training ground guru. Well, no, let's go back even before that. I mean, what, okay. you're a journalist. Um, what, what took you into that field? Yeah, so I actually did a law degree, um, which was probably was a mistake, really, in hindsight, because I found it very, very boring and I didn't <laughs> enjoy it and I didn't really want to do it. Um, so, I'd, yeah, I probably followed what my dad uh, advised I should do at that time. But I'd actually always wanted to be a journalist, so... Um, I think I had another year after my degree, then I did a postgraduate in journalism. Yeah. And then I got a job on my local paper called the Banbury Guardian, um, which was a brilliant um, learning ground, actually. I learned so much doing that. I was only there for a year. Yeah. Uh, but it's absolutely brilliant because you have to find all your own stories. First of all, there's not any, that, you know, we didn't really have the internet to use at that time. Um, and you're also very, very accountable to your audience, I think. So, you know, you might go in the pub or the petrol station and people bought the paper and read your stories. They'd tell you what they thought of it. And, <laughs> or they'd come in the office. I've had even people from court cases come in the office and threaten to beat you up. And <laughs> so you've got to be, you know, very on the money, really, about what you do. Um, yeah, so, so you're very close to your audience there. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah which are probably not as much really nowadays. Certainly in the BBC, we didn't meet our audience really, you know, directly. You didn't speak to them as much um, and you didn't feel as close to it. So um, I, I think that was a good thing, definitely. And you yeah. had to find all your stories as well, as I say. You had to get out there, meeting people, developing relationships, getting a good nose for a story, what was going to yeah. be interesting. Um, so yeah, yeah, that was really good, really good thing to do. And and were you covering were you covering sport or was it a range of different areas? No, I was I was a trainee news reporter, so it was just news. Um, so you had a patch you covered, and you would also, I think we took it in turns, but we'd always go to the police station, the fire brigade, yeah. uh, and the magistrates court. Yeah. Oh so <laughs> yeah, it was a very good broad spectrum, really. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you sort of start by going to those places, see see kind of, you know, who's done what and, and what's kind of happened and what they've been called yeah. out to. And, yeah. and, then, and, and what would you do with that information? Well, it, yeah, depending on uh, what was newsworthy, really. So you developed a good nose. Um, and yeah, if it was, you'd know if it was a good story from the police from the day before. You'd uh, pursue that, get more information, write that up. Um, yeah, and then the same with the fire and the, the magistrates as well. Yeah, and then a big part of it was going out to your patch as well as I say, so driving out to the different villages or towns, um, meeting some of your key contacts. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then trying to sniff out uh, what was good, and then develop relationships as well, so you could get the information you need. Because um, one of the hardest things they actually call it a death knock, um, which is where someone's died and then you would have to knock on the, the door of the family yeah. unannounced. Um, and then, yeah, try and interview the family about the person. Um, well, that must, that's tricky. So that's a big, big test, especially when you're like early twenties, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, so how did you sort of develop that? How sort of dealing with that? Cause that's, that's really tricky, isn't it? Yeah. I was actually, always quite good at that if that's uh, the right way of putting it but 
the way I always phrased it was we're writing a tribute to your son or daughter or brother. Um, mm. Obviously be very respectful, quite gentle if you can. Um, yeah. But I found if you pitched it in that way, people did want to then speak about their relative, you know, they wanted them to be recognised in the local paper. Um, yeah. yeah. So, but it, yeah, it was, was difficult. Definitely. No one really liked doing that very much as you can imagine. Yeah. No, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, mm. but, but, but that, and, you know, and having to go around and, uh, I mean, it's almost like detective work, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. And were, were you yeah, ever tempted quite... to join the police? No, 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 <laughs> never that. No, but no, you're right. It is. And it's also trying to develop relationships very quickly, um, which can be a bit strange. You're almost trying to befriend people really very quickly. Um, and then you've got to be a little bit careful there as well, because you're not ultimately someone's friend, are you? Or your contact's friend. Yeah. So you've got to keep that professional distance as well. Um, yeah. But you've got to get someone to trust you enough to give you information, even though they don't know you. So. Yeah. Well, well you, yeah, you probably were you given much sort of mentoring and, and, and support or were you just sort of left to learn it as you went along? Yeah, I, did, yeah, I think I was actually. We did have, we had a good editor. Um, it was a Scottish chap, probably quite young really, that, uh, like early 30s, called Paul Napier. And he then went quite high within the company called Johnston Press. I, I think he's like head of digital now or something like that. But he was very good, actually. He was very good. He would give a lot of guidance. Um, and he was professional as well. Because um, there was a bit of a culture in paper of, at those times of almost bullying the new people. So really shouting at them and giving them a hard time and a, a roasting. I think that like <laughs> happened everywhere. And then the, the news editor would always say, well, that was the way I was treated yeah. when I came through. So, you're, you know, you're getting what I got and... We're toughening you up. Um, but he, he wasn't like that, actually, Paul. He, he was always quite respectful and built relationships, um, but also very, very good. So, yeah, he, he was good, definitely. Yeah. So you, you learned a nicer way of doing it. Um, when, so when you had subordinates, um, how, how were you with them? Well, yeah, I tried to be uh, respectful, to give guidance, to be positive. Um, to encourage. That, that's definitely what I tried to do. Um, I don't think you always get it right, do you, early? Because um, I think when you first put into a leadership role, you're quite terrified of being caught out or not respected. So maybe you try and um, sort of throw your weight around a bit more, really, to prove your leadership, you know. Yeah. Whereas I think as you get more experienced, you... Um, ease yourself into it really you feel more confident more comfortable um so you don't need to do that um yeah. it's always a fine line isn't it really quite quite interesting but I, I never liked that sort of manager who shouted at you and i hate it when people say do it that way because i told you to <laughs> and you won't take questions you know and won't be challenged i, I used to hate that yeah so i tried not to be like that so that I mean that that style I mean drawing it back to sort of the the football world you know we see different managers don't we with different styles and and that's that's clearly one of them just just do what I do what I say yeah um, and and others are more around you know the types of characteristics we were talking about you know earlier on um, but when when you finished at that uh, at that you had that year what what was your mm. next step. Then I got a job at the BBC. So that would have been, I think, 2000. Um, and I actually had a good friend of mine work there for the BBC Sport website. Um, so I think he'd alerted me to this job and then went and had an interview. They have something called boards where you have three people interview you. Yeah. So you'd normally have a couple of managers and someone from HR. Um, and it's pretty tough. They give you a bit of a grilling. I don't think I was ever very good at sort of doing those interviews. But, but no, I, ma I managed to get in. So uh, that's where I started. And that, that was the first year of the BBC Sport website. Um, it just been launched that year. And it's now the biggest sort of in the world, I think. So. Really? 
Wow. It's coming so, away. Yeah. Yeah. What what year was that? Where where are we now in the timeline? Yeah, that was uh, 2000, so May 2000. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah, it's interesting because you say you ago. say that you may not have been so good at the interview, but yeah, you got you got the job. So you you clearly Yeah, did yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I got in. There was a bit of funny interviews, aren't they really, I think. Um yeah, I never know how, quite how good they are, really, because your job's never going to be speaking or answering questions under pressure, is it, really? Yeah. But I, I suppose it's a good test as well. But um, I, I think you have some people who are very good at those interviews who aren't very good at the job and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, it's a tricky one, isn't it, really? Recruitment. I'm, I'm not sure that's the best way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure we have necessarily found the the best way. Um, I know I know someone who, um, who who used to sort of take people for a few pints. Oh right. Um, okay. And and yeah. sort of get you know try and get under the hood a little bit. And and I could see the yeah. sense in that because he 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 led a team or leads a team led a team, and um, would would want to know who who he was going to be be working with. But I, I'm not sure you're really. I mean, this is going back a not too many years, but I'm not sure you're really allowed to do that. I don't know. No, I'm not sure if it would be that great for diversity either, would you? Because we do tend to sort of like people in our own image, don't we? I suppose even subconsciously. Yeah. Um, so that person might not like having a drink with someone who's a different generation, a different yeah. colour, different culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they might be the best person for the job, you know. So yeah. it's, it's tricky, really. It is. There's lots of factors, and we we are human, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. And and subject to our own our own bias, and mm. and I guess that's something you have to be, you know, really aware of when you're when you're writing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Definitely. Um, yeah. It's good. It's good to always be aware of it, isn't it? Really. Um, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's where it's good to have that um, sort of critical friend, isn't it? I suppose who can tell you because, as I say, a lot of the time it's subconscious. Really, we might not realise we're drawn to particular people or subjects. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely something for me to be mindful of. But I, d I try and be objective, you know, in, in the writing and the work. And I think someone described it as an evidence-based newsroom, which I, I took that as quite a compliment. I, oh, I like that. Well, yeah. as in describing training ground guru. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and obviously, you know, I had the experience of, of talking to you. you. You interviewed me when we, we talked about pain and, and injury and, and some ideas in modern ideas for the game. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. You know, you were you were very objective. And, and from the outset, you, you, made, you said, yeah, this is this is how we do it. And, and that was great. Um, because, I found that a good process, actually. And a good thing about you, I did challenge you quite a lot because I wasn't convinced to start with, or maybe I didn't understand well enough. So I did challenge you quite a lot, you know, and kick back. And uh, some people don't like that, do they? But you kind of took it in, in an open way and we had a good open discussion. And uh, I suppose you won me round really over time with yeah. showing me the evidence and um yeah. Yeah. yeah no 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 i definitely as i understood it more i was uh convinced that that's the same for for a lot of situations isn't it where you know it's it seems like it's something new or perhaps radical or certainly different to the way it's always been done mm. and and there are a lot of traditions in in a lot of institutions or or cultures and so when someone says, well, look, you know, we can do it like this, you know, your job is to turn around and say, well, OK, but what about that? And what about that? And got any evidence for that? Anyone else going to back you up there? Or is this just you out there on your own making your predictions? Yeah, because um, I think we, do, we have a lot of preconceived ideas, don't we, really? So I'd never thought about pain, really. I just thought, you know, you hurt yourself, you have pain. It's the same for everyone. Um, and then it was good being challenged in my own thinking, really, about that. Um, and similar, actually, have you read that book about breathing by uh, James Nestor? I'm, I'm reading that at the moment. Yeah, I have. I've never, have. ever thought about that before. I thought you just breathe and, <laughs> you know, it's kind of unconscious. You just do it. And it's really, really interesting book again. It's challenged my thinking a lot. 
Have you have you started changing the way you breathe yet? I'm trying. Yeah, I've started breathing through my nose a lot more. Um, and he talks about a lot about breathing less actually doesn't he as well which is quite quite interesting um yeah very hard when you sleep isn't it i know he said that he uh put tape over his mouth didn't he which i've not quite gone that far yet but yeah how about yourself well uh, yeah i mean i'm quite into breathing um <laughs> just to keep alive um, no <laughs> i do i do a lot of breathing work with with the people i see so um it's uh yeah sort of reducing how much someone breathes but it's you, you'd be surprised how many people who are very fit breathe quite badly. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, um, that surprised me again when he said you should breathe through your nose, even, you know, if you're running a marathon or something, which I just yeah. always thought you could get more breath, more air in through your mouth. But. Well, you don't necessarily need more air. You, you, you need a certain level of, of oxygen and, and you can... You can train yourself to run breathing through your nose for sure, and and at, at quite you know high intensity. I mean, if you're you know oh. really sprinting and legging it, then you know. Um, but it's the difference between sort of delivering dirty, unfiltered air to your lungs and and kind of filtered, warm, moistened air to your to your lungs. Yeah. Um, but it's um, you know it's. Patrick McCown is, you know, is he references him and Wim Hof and, and all the others. Um, I don't know if you've got to that that bit yet. Um, no, about so two thirds of the way through, I think. Well, you'll be able to try all these different all these different methods and just see, you yeah. know, see what yeah. see what happens for you. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll check in. I'll check in in a couple of months and see um, how much more energized you're you're feeling. <laughs> You, you always actually give off quite a lot of the calm. So I don't know. Is, is breathing a, a big part of that, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. And um, it's it's interesting because, you know, you, you interview people and you'll notice how people are in your presence. And so things like our voice tone and mm. we I think it was before we started recording, we were talking about pauses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, were, yeah. Whether to edit them out of podcasts. Yeah, that's or right. Not. That's right. Yeah. And <laughs> pauses are great, particularly as the speaker. Mm. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> because you, you know you take a you take a breath in. Yes, um, yeah. And the, the calmer you are inside, you, you you know you can see how that other person is, um, and how you're, you're you're regulating each other. Yeah, 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 definitely. Which maybe we don't get a lot, do we? Really, in interviews we see on TV or we hear. Because um, one thing that drives me mad is interviewers, where you find out more about what they think than what the uh, subject thinks. Yeah, yeah. Have you, have you been seeing that? that? It's it seems to be a bit of a trend, uh, and and yeah. people commenting on it more and more. Have you you've noticed that? Have you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think like the converse thing, actually, I listened to a very good podcast at the weekend by uh, Brené Brown with uh, Pippa Grange, who I've interviewed for the website. Um, and Brené is a big name with a huge following. And I think she's done like, the most popular TED Talk ever. Mm. But this interview, she didn't impose herself on it at all. She was inquisitive. She listened. Um and it was really good. Yeah. And that's quite a good antidote to what we hear a lot, I think. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, on the interviewing, that's been a massive part of your journey. What, what are your kind of key skills for you interviewing someone? What do you really focus on? I think the main thing is to be inquisitive, um, to be interested in the subject and to want to try and find out more about it and about the person um, and then listening is a big part and developing relationships as well to make the person at ease with you um, to trust you to be willing to give you information and open up yeah um, yeah I'd, I'd say they're the main things really and and do you have a way of sort of preparing yourself before an interview and I don't I don't mean you know, reading through loads of notes about the person, but just just you to get into the right kind of state of mind. I I think just to 
kind of immerse yourself in that person a little bit because I think you do have to do the preparation um otherwise there could be things you miss really um and then I, I try and do frameworks really uh so I've talked to Josh quite a bit about this who does the podcast as well um and it's it's not good to work out your exact questions I don't think because then it becomes very artificial yeah and you're not listening and it's not a natural conversation um, but I think it is good to have the frameworks really to know the topics you want to hit and the areas and to connect them a little bit and have a bit of a structure. Um, yeah. 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 So that, I mean, that's a real art and and you can tell, can't you, when you, when you listen. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there are some people who are way better at it than I am. Like um, I admire someone like Mark Chapman because um, he's got a lot of knowledge but he's also very conversational, very natural. And he sounds like the type of bloke you'd like to have a beer with at the pub. Um, But he also does give you a lot of insight and he's got a lot of knowledge. So yeah, I I think he's one of the best for sure. Yeah. Who who else do you, do you sort of use as a kind of, Oh yeah, I like, I like that. I like that. I like that style. Um, God, you put, yeah, put me on the spot there. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, he'd definitely be one. Brené, as I say, did that very, very well. Um, what else have I listened to in terms of podcasts? Um, actually, well, I've been, I listen to the Louis Theroux ones a lot. And uh, yeah, away from sport. And mm. I think he's absolutely genius at um, kind of developing those relationships, eliciting the information. Um, and he comes across as quite sort of naive, doesn't he, really? Um, which then really, I think, encourages the interviewee to open up a lot. Um, yeah. And he comes, he's very inquisitive as well, I think. He's, he wants to find out about that person, the minutiae about them. Um, and have you listened to that series at all that he's just done with uh, the BBC? Yeah, I, likewise. I'm. I've sort of followed his. I, I love his style. Um, mm. And I was. I was going to say to you, you know, what are the particular characteristics that that you notice? And that naivety seems to be the one, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. He did. There was a. I mean, he's done loads of good ones, but it was a quite interesting with uh, Ruby Wax. So did you listen to that one? No. So it's quite interesting. I'd not really thought about this, but he kind of took over her genre or her slot, really, with the BBC. So she said when he came along, she didn't get any work anymore. That was her finished, really. Wow. Because he did these kind of uh, behind-the-scenes interviews in the same way, and then they stopped hiring her. And she was very open about that. And she said said something like, for a while, I hated you. And I felt like being sick when I heard your name. <laughs> I suppose it says a lot. And Louis, he wasn't offended by that. You know, he took it. And then they had the very honest conversation about it. Um, so, you, but you got that dramatic tension with it. Um, but then, yeah, they were both very open. And he never has any ego, does he really, Louis, as well? He's not saying how great he is or trying to impose himself again. Um, no, he's quite low key. No. But yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Have you have you read his book? No, no, I haven't. Was it an autobiography? Yeah, oh. um, I've got it here. Actually, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll buy that. It's. Um, oh wow! You just happen to have it there. We have have it here. Have my bookshelf's to my left. <laughs> got right. to get through through this. It's sort of a play oh. on the. Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, it's interesting. You won't, you know, you won't be. It's it's a really good read. It's it's witty. It's funny. Um, okay. Yeah, I'll buy that definitely. But um, you'll you'll pick up on all the things that you were just you were just saying there. Mm. Um, so um, so then you know so you you had the, your BBC experience, and how did that sort of then transform into the training ground guru that you are now? Yeah, so I left the BBC at the end of 2013 and I, how many, well, for a few years I freelanced. So I worked for newspapers and did a bit of TV producing, did a bit with the Beeb still. 
Um, and I actually worked two days a week for the, a website called Prolific North, um, based in Manchester. And that's about the creative industries really in the North. Mm. So like marketing, TV, um, what else they cover, PR, uh, filmmaking, things like that. And I learned a lot actually from doing that. And a guy called uh, Nick Jasper, who runs it, he's like, I think it's his fifth business he's had. Um, and he's very, very good. People say he's one of the only people who knows how to make money out of uh, websites, editorial websites. Um, so I did, yeah, and he has events and he has jobs on there. And so, yeah, I learned quite a bit. Um, and that inspired me really to set up the website. And also the fact I'd also been very, very interested in what goes on on the training grounds and what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. But I didn't feel that ever got covered at all at that time. Um, and when I pitched those ideas to the newspapers, they didn't really want to cover them. So, yeah, I thought this would be a very good website to set up, a very good niche. Yeah. Um, and then with that little bit of knowledge from Prolific North about how to structure it and set it up. Um, and then it launched in February 2017, I think. So yeah. it's been going four and a bit years now. No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I can I can see the link. I can see that how that how that evolved. Um, but but what about football? Is that has that always been your your sort of favourite sport, or or was there another reason why you you got into that? No, for, yeah, football has definitely definitely. Um, yeah, it's just I think it's the main shout, isn't it? Really, in this country. Um, and then I just thought, as I say, there was this big part of it that wasn't getting covered. Really, what goes on away from the matches and away from the press conferences. Um, we, we're seeing more of it now, like the coach's voice has launched since and the athletic um, and a few other websites. So there is more of it now, but I think when it launched, there wasn't very much at all really in the mainstream media. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of, yeah, rich uh, pickings really. Mm. So how long did it take to sort of get going? It, it definitely took a while. Um, because when I started off, it had no following. You know, social media is a, a huge part of editorial. Um, and it had no followers, you know, and it, it didn't have for a while, really. So you're spending a lot of time on certain stories and no one's really reading them. So yeah. that's uh, quite hard. But then over time, I think you get a few big hitting stories. Um, and then that gets people kind of looking and coming back. Um, yeah. So yeah, gradual process really. Yeah, I don't I don't know when was the point when it started to get followers, um, but just yeah, gradually really. Well, were I there had, some yeah, I remember I did a, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, were there, were there some particular stories that that you remember in the the earlier days that that kind of got people excited? Yeah, I, don't, I can remember a few. So I've, a guy called Ben Durs, who I work with at the BBC who's a superb writer, writes a lot of uh, sports books. He did one with Alan Smith, the uh, striker who played for Leeds United. And he'd done hardly any interviews ever, really. Like if you Googled him, you couldn't find anything. And, um, but he was by then playing for Notts County near the bottom of League Two. Um, so through a contact, we got in touch with him and we drove down to Notts County and spent an afternoon there. Um, a really nice guy. And I remember they were training. They were doing quite a lot of work in a tiny little gym that was about as big as the room I'm in. <laughs> and he was doing these different football drills in the gym, you know, and it's a guy who played for England and Man United and Leeds. Um, and Ben did a brilliant piece with him. Really, really good. Um, and that that got a lot of interest. I remember I did some stuff with Rennie Moulinstein, who'd been the first team coach at Man United, who was very good as well. A lot of insight. Um Got a few of that. I remember there was one as well. Um, I can't remember his name. He wrote it. It was about set pieces at Sheffield United under Chris Wilder. Yeah. He did it in a brilliant way again with some little video clips. And it was just superb, you know, the level of insight and the level of depth. Yeah. Um, and actually, after that first year, the site did get shortlisted for web, Sport Website of the Year at the uh, Sport SJA Awards, the Sports Journalism Association. Oh, wow. Um, up against, I think, the Guardian, Telegraph, 
Um, who else? Yeah, main, mainly newspapers. Um, so it's like, yeah, shortlisted top five. So that, wow. that was a massive uh, feather in the cap after a year. Yeah. And, and to be up there, you know, with those well-known sort of big names, that's a, yeah. that was a real yeah. coup. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, we had something else good. I remember the Academy Productivity Rankings, which is not a very sexy title, but <laughs> it was uh, ranking the academies according to how many professionals they produced. Uh, within, I think, the last three years. And there wasn't anything publicly available like that again. Um, and a guy called Mark Crane put that together. And that, yeah, that was really, really good as well and really popular. Um, so again, it was contributions by quite a lot of people, really. So I didn't pay, you know, I didn't pay any of those people, but they massively helped me um, in increasing the uh, profile of the website. Yeah. And and who who were you targeting then? Who who did you want as a as an audience? So I think I thought early on the uh, discerning football fan, so the fan who wanted to find out more about what goes on behind the scenes with their team. Um, and I think over time it's evolved into a bit more of a professional resource, really. Yeah. So the core audience is people who work in football. Yeah. So at clubs in first team level academies. Um, or coaching, you know, semi-pro or amateur level, but yeah. people who are employed in the game. And, and what do you think they come to the website for? I think quite a lot of it is to find out about industry developments. Um, so who's moving where is a big thing. Um, which staff are going where, who's just been hired, who's been sacked, what's uh, opened up. And then uh, development, so what different clubs are doing. Because what people say to me, um, it can be a bit of a goldfish bowl, really. You work at your club, you go in, you do your training during the week, you play the match when you might speak for five minutes to staff from the other club. Yeah. Um, but you don't really know what's going on um, at other clubs or in the industry. So I think it's a useful resource um, in that way to find out about developments at other clubs. Um, yeah. You know, no. even this week I did a story about Kevin De Bruyne um, employing analysts to analyse his performance when he did his contract renegotiation with uh, Man City. Right. And now that's interesting if you're at another club, isn't it, really? Or if you're a player mm. or, or a coach. Yeah. So he, he got his own analyst, did he, to do that? Yeah, yeah. His, I think it was via his lawyer. He, he got them to employ a company called Analytics FC. And they then came up with a dossier talking about his importance to the team. Um, but it actually quantified it. Um, and they then found out via that, I think they then compared him to, I think, like the top 30 other players in Europe in his position. And they had some information on the salaries of those players. Um, so they said you're you're heavily underpaid for what you contribute to Manchester City. Um, you know this is what you're worth. This is what you should be getting. And uh, he presented this dossier when he uh, negotiated with them. And then he's got a deal worth I think 80 million over four years. So he did. It's not well. bad, is it? That's okay. You can <laughs> <keep> on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely worth the money of commissioning Analytics FC, wasn't it, for that? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I suppose, you know, other people seeing that it could start that kind of trend or clubs themselves follow suit. Yeah, definitely. I was talking to a head of analytics at a Premier League club and he said he thinks within three years, every player of note will be coming into negotiations with a dossier like that. Yeah. Because so I guess the negotiations are a two way thing, isn't it? It's not just about the club saying you're worth this. Um, you want to say, no, I'm worth this, and you want evidence to back that up, um, which he did very well. Yeah. yeah, so so you'll be the first to have really reported on, on that. Yeah, I was the yeah, first by a few hours. The Athletic actually had their own story the next morning, but um, that I think they'd been working on previously. But um, yeah, I was the first otherwise to say that it was this company, Analytics FC. Yeah. But there's there's an enormous amount going on 
in in the game you know you're covering all the staff so you've got all the different categories that that includes and then and then player stuff i mean it's it's a massive area how do you how do you cope with it how do you deal with it <laughs> yeah it, i suppose this is another debate really about work-life balance or how much you should be on your phone um i'm probably not a very good example of that really but the yeah a lot of looking at uh Social media, so Twitter, LinkedIn being the main ones. Uh, and then talking to people, talking to your contacts. Um, as I become more established, people do get in contact with you and alert you to things. Yeah. Um, you have to be proactive as well in hunting things out. So, yeah, it's, it's a big undertaking, definitely. It gets yeah. easier as you develop those relationships, but um, yeah. it does take a lot of time, definitely. So that, that knows that you developed early on, um you, you've you've honed in the in the football sense then to sniff out you know what's going to be right for your website and the messages and the philosophy yeah definitely definitely i suppose it's good to remember that isn't it really because you might think the banbury guardian you know the pay was terrible and it's a smaller paper but as i say you learn your core skills really doing that yeah and then it's about learning about your audience as well, what, what your audience is interested in and always having that at the forefront of your mind. So you're, you're, you know, you're writing and, and editing through that lens of thinking, well, what will my audience be interested in here? Yeah, definitely. And again, talk, I mean, data is a massive thing in football, but I think it's a big thing in journalism as well, really. Looking at your stats for how many people are reading a particular story. Um, what sort of shelf life it has, how much, how long they spend on a story. Yeah. Um, I think you've got to be alert to all that data as well, really. But not too much because, I, yeah, I hear of papers that are um, obsessed with the stats, really, which is then when you end up with what they call clickbait, which you're just doing material for people to click on. And it yeah. might not be very good quality and it often isn't. So uh, you've got to have your own barometer as well of what is a good story not just the clicks yeah yeah so you're you're clearly interested in in quality and delivering yeah. that quality to to your growing audience mm. yes definitely yeah yeah i tried to be i mean yeah I, I could get more clicks and more followers i think if i did more transfer stories um because they're very very popular but that's not my audience really. And that, yeah, it's not really what I want to do. Yeah. I could do more speculation, couldn't I? You know, X is going to move to Man United, um, things like that. But that, that's not my area and that's not what my audience comes to the website for. So, mm. so you're very much focusing on your, your strengths, your own strengths, the strengths of training ground guru. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think you've got to have a very clear uh, niche really. Because I do do see some sites you're not 100% sure what they're covering, really. Yeah. And that's probably not that good as a reader, really, because you, you've got to know why, why you're going there and what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, and that will make you go back more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Have you... And I guess you've got to think as well, haven't you, about followers as well. How, is it worth having followers if they're not your core audience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess that's back to the, you know, do you want numbers or do you want, you know, a good audience that's going to be following you indefinitely and, and subscribing um, yeah. and, and recurring, coming back, coming back and then sharing and sharing, you know, amongst their own yeah. um, circle. Yeah, would, um, would you say now you're, you're in your dream job? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. Definitely. Um, I love working for myself. That's a massive thing for me. Um, if you're not doing very well, you've only got one person to sort of look to, haven't you, really, and go to the mirror and <laughs> think how you can do better. You can't blame anyone else, um, but you can do things your way. You similarly don't have anyone telling you you can't do that, you're not good enough to do that, um, which is really, really good, I think. Um, and then good working with good people and collaborating with good people. Um, you know, in terms of the articles with people like yourself um, and then people like Jeff who hosts the events, who's a friend of 
both of us, who's very, very good and a good person to work with. Um, so yeah, yeah, I love it. And I love the subject matter, um, learning and being inquisitive and find I'm interested in the stories, mm. um, meet a lot of good people. So yeah, yeah, I do really, really enjoy it. Fantastic. Fantastic. The energy is, is clear. You know, I, I hear it and I see it and, and it's, yeah. it resonates around the whole, the whole package. Um, what's, what's the, what does the future hold? Have you got, have you got yeah. any interesting plans or is it all under wraps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I suppose some of it is, um, I've got thoughts about the future and discussions, but nothing, um, kind of concrete as of yet, really. I want to do more events, so more of the masterclasses, webinars, hopefully more live events when uh, time permits, because yeah. I think nothing can beat those, really, as we were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, more, more content, more podcasts, hopefully growing it, getting more people involved, so it's not me predominantly doing the stories, you know. Yeah. Because that is very satisfying, again, um, as I'm sure you're, you found, finding good young people and seeing them grow and them achieve things, is you can't really beat that either. So uh, that, that's definitely something I would like to do as well. Yeah. Um, but it can be hard. You know, it's a small business, so you've got to grow it in the right way at the right times. Um, but that, that is definitely something I would like to do. Yeah, Pass, passing on your knowledge and experience and encouragement Yes. Yeah. 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 I hope so. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. it's brilliant, isn't it? It's been yeah. it's been great to um, to chat and catch up. Um, where where can people go to to get more information to find out about you and your your work? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that, Richmond. Um, so uh, the website Training Ground Guru is trainingground.guru. Uh, Twitter is where we give the most updates, biggest following. That's ground underscore guru. Um, and then I do do a lot of LinkedIn as well. So uh, that's a good place to see updates, find out more about me if people wanted to. Um, yeah, they're the way, yeah. And then we have one podcast per month as well that I do with a guy called uh, Josh Schneiderweiler. Uh, so yeah, thank, thanks for that, Richmond. Thanks for uh, prompting me. And yeah, really enjoyed that chat. It, couldn't believe we've done nearly an hour already. It went I know. Really quickly. I know time flies, and you always feel like there's there's so much more to to chat about. But I think in essence, you know, it's casual, and it will give people a flavour of of what you're up to. Um, and of course, what I'll do is um, I'll, I'll share all the links on the on the page so people can just have a have an easy click. Um, yeah, but um, no, thanks again, Simon. And yeah, uh, let's uh, let's catch up again soon. Definitely, definitely. Thank you, Richmond. And yeah, thanks for your support as well and your interest. Really appreciate that. No, you're welcome. I, I think it's great. So um, I shall continue. All right. Fantastic. Take care. Brilliant. Cheers, Richmond. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.